really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Welcome to episode three. This is her story. Today, I interview Jennifer Kaufman. She's the pastor of discipleship at a church in Muncie, Indiana. And she's also the creator of the upcoming conference, Unstoppable She Leads. This is a thoughtful and reflective episode with some practical advice for women moving towards ordination. You will enjoy Jennifer's honest and down-to-earth spirit. Also check out the show notes and there's information about the Unstoppable Conference as well as ways to connect with Jennifer. We have a mutual friend, Jill Waltz. So I was asking her, who else would you recommend for the podcast? And you were the first one that came up and she said you need to interview Jennifer um, because you have a lot of fun stuff happening and I know you have the podcast uh, but first just talk about where you're at right now and like what your assignment is. I am the spiritual formation pastor at Southside Church of the Nazarene which is in Muncie, Indiana and I've actually been here at Southside for 30 years and got called to ministry oh wow maybe 10 years ago. And started the process for ordination, got my first district license five years ago, and then um, got ordained this past May. In that time before, for the first four years, I was ministries pastor and loved it. We did a lot of really, really neat things that we could put a lot of time in because that was my job. You know, I wasn't like a full-time employee somewhere and on the side I was doing women's ministries. I was able to really put everything into it and then last year we got a new pastor we had a pastoral change and uh, about that time I was kind of feeling like I could do more you know Mm -hmm. I could do women's ministries and something else or I could do something else and he asked me to take on this role as a spiritual formations pastor so it's been really really great and I still have a little bit of a hand in the women's ministries I, I turned it over to someone else and but I do you know all the discipleship all the small groups. I work with the Sunday school leaders and we do a lot of creative (laughs) things here. So, so you serving there in some capacities, lay ministry or whatever for 30 years. So is that your background? Did you grow up in the church? What's your faith background? Actually, not at all. I met Jesus when I was 15 and I'm from a really small town Let's see, of about, well, when I was growing up, it was about 4,000 people. And the Church of the Nazarene there had BBS, and they invited teens. So they had a teen track for BBS. And that's where I met Jesus for the first time on a football field of our high school. So I was only there for two more years and then went away to college. And when I was at college, uh, my mom moved here to Muncie. I I, I went to a school uh, in Terre Haute, and I did for it so I didn't really have any place to go and so I moved to Muncie and then started going to to this church but no we weren't raised in the church I came to faith but I came to faith as a teenager not right. not as a adult I guess and so I did have a few formative years in the church but I was still I felt still pretty new to church practices and faith practices 
Right. It, so, did, and did your family go with you when you started attending? Did your family go with you also, or oh. was it just you? Yes, my actually my mom was already attending here. So the summer that I got saved, I have two brothers. We all got saved that same summer, and we all started going to the Church of the Nazarene. When my mom moved here, she connected with someone at this church. And then when I moved here, I just started going to church with her. And then I met my husband here. That was kind of it. I didn't plan on staying here after college, but he's a farmer. And oh. so we got to stay where the farm is. Yeah, I guess so. Did you graduate from college? What was your degree in? My degree is in English. And uh, yes, I graduated from Ball State University. I was going to be a teacher, and then I taught for like one of the class participation class or something like that. And I, I was like, oh, heck no. I could, not, <laughs> I could not work with junior high students, which is what I really want. I wanted to teach junior high English because my junior high English teacher changed my life. You know, mm-hmm. she was just that person for me. I, I loved her, but boy, I was not cut out <laughs> in any way for that. So how did you finally transition? Like, what was that thing that pushed you from lay ministry to ordination, you know, vocational ministry? I'll try to make it somewhat brief, somewhat concise. My husband and I had tried for several years to have children, and uh, we tried for seven years. And then we finally were able to get pregnant with our son, and I decided to stay good full-time job. I decided to stay home after all that right. trying. I didn't want to miss a moment. And so it was because I was able to stay home that I was able to volunteer more and more at the church. I was actually okay. the, what we used to call the Sunday school superintendent. Right. I Sunday school superintendent. So I could really spend my time here and I taught a class. And, you know, I was able to do a whole lot of different things. And I started um, writing curriculum and I started kind of forming, helping to form the Sunday school ministry. And it was in that time that I thought, really felt like God was leading me to where um, my goal, you know, I had a goal of when I went to and I was... So you have a podcast that you're doing and mm-hmm. you have a conference that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So, well, first of all, is this the first year for com- the conference? Yes. Um, after I got ordained in May, I got to thinking about some of the things that I would like to, you know, now I, I really did feel kind of confirmed I had some people tell me you're going to feel so much different after ordination. And some people tell me there's not one single thing that's different, but I, I did feel like I felt confirmed and empowered. And now I can confidently move forward. I am the same as everybody, you know, as all these other people. Right. And so Jill and I, Jill Waltz, our friend, um, we were having coffee, I think. And so I had this idea for this women's clergy conference and it really comes from several years ago, I um, went to Come to the Fire. Oh, yeah. And I was, it was in Holland, Michigan, and I was driving back, and I went by myself. And actually, I went by myself and, and hardly spoke to anyone the whole three days. It was just such a wonderful time of, of forming and shaping me, you know. But on the drive back, I thought, Lord, I, want, I don't like the mountaintops. I, you know, the peak, the high peaks and the low valleys. I want to feel more and more peaks, more and more of the time. Why do I have to wait for a conference? Why do I have to wait for a getaway to feel the intensity of, of that? And so from that, you know, I came home and I'm like, we have magnificent singers here at Southside and we have 
you know, all these things, why can't we have at least a night that's like come to the fire? So we've created these things called women's worship. I a lot of times preach them, and uh, we had female musicians, female singers, you know, the whole nine yards, and we did eight or nine of them over a course of three years, and they were just wonderful. I, I came out of ordination kind of feeling the same way. So I went to Jill, and I'm like, I couldn't make it to the women's clergy conference in um, Colorado. I really want wanted to have that experience. And, you know, I ha- knowing looking back over the previous four or five years of my journey, I wanted to be able to encourage and empower someone else. I feel like I have a responsibility to bring someone with me. And so I went to Jill and I'm like, let's do this. Let's just make our own, you know, just a, a one-day kind of thing. And so she she caught the vision and caught the excitement. And so she's just been – we're really excited about it. So it's called Unstoppable. Unstoppable, she leads. And we are um, offering it to women and men, men who want to support and encourage and learn how to – bring women to the table, um, right. both the, the board table, the clergy table, the Sunday school teacher table, you know, all of those ways that women can and should lead. Because um, if a woman's voice isn't at the table, then you're missing something. We both got really excited about it. And um, so we're offering two different sessions on our NEI district, Northeast Indiana district. So we, we kind of divided the territory into North and South. So October 15th, um, there will be one here at Southside. Then there will be one the next night, October 16th, in the north side at Elkhart. You're doing it in two different locations, back back to back. Uh, I'm going to put mm-hmm. that on the website in the show notes. Great. Um, what's, who's your district superintendent where you're at? David Rowland. And you and your senior pastor, was, was he, is he the person who brought you on? In, in this current, is he the what? Is he the pastor that brought you on in this current role? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you do a podcast. Talk about how that got started and kind of what you do on that. His name's Paul Desay, and he's been here at Southside for a year and a half. And uh, one of the things that we started talking about last summer was something called grace habits. It was something that he had kind of been filtering through his brain, you know, for a while. So we kind of sat down and this big long strategy session of what are grace habits and what does it look like and how can we help our people grace so grace habits are uh, sacred reading which is scripture uh, sacred conversation which of course is prayer sacred denial which is that we call it unplugging here because we really want to encourage people to not just think about fasting food but fasting your phone televisions in you know social media anything that's a distraction to you um and then there's sacred sacred meal which is and sacred we started you know thinking how can we teach our people the importance of these grace habits so we did a sermon series and then um pastor paul had always wanted to do a podcast and i was kind of like you know i'm along for the ride i don't really care but uh, i'll be your sidekick you know started it so we started using facebook live on our church's facebook page and then we would post it to the other pages later we still kind of podcast because sometimes it's so wrapped up in conversation that you forget really flourished under grace so that 
a common question that you'll hear around here is, how are your grace happens? Right. That's something that we ask each other at every podcast. How are your grace happens? Haven't had the week. Have slept every day. Um, haven't had any prayer, scripture time. We also encourage people to remember it. While those are the foundation steps, the foundation of grace habits is scripture. The other ones are important too. And they can sometimes, mercy and grace can, peace can fall through those cracks. You know, we haven't had the other grace, stressful week, haven't gotten up, haven't taken, you know, just busy beyond the making sure that you're making time for your sake. People who are going to encourage you, to love lift you up, and hold you accountable getting back into your group, things like that. We receive communion here every week, and so we love to teach about it and talk about it. And so the podcast just goes through, we're, we're actually starting our third season, and now we're starting our, our third season, and we're kind of going back over the original Grace Habits. But then we're also recognizing that almost anything can be a Grace Habit, because those are just pathways that God uses to speak to you. We talked about Lent during Lent, you know what that means. It does reflect the seasons and the church seasons. Um, but last week we talked about what is grace. You know, some people don't really have a concept of that. This week we're going to talk about what habits are, when it takes to form a habit, how our habits are, our choices, and they shape us and form us. I think there's something about being super intentional about those things and recognize, you know, sometimes we have the attitude of, I don't know how that happens. But if we would really think about it, we know how that happens. Grace habits is, is a huge thing around here. We talk about it all the time. You said you serve communion every Sunday. We haven't always. It's, it's been, um, I think in September it'll be a year. I, we love it. And we just had, we have something here called the Leadership Collective, which once a quarter we gather, tell our people that everyone's a leader. So we encourage everyone to have not just like development of it, but what the Bible says about it and what we as Nazarenes, as religious people, we believe in John Wesley. Why are we taking it every week? Just as a reminder, why are we receiving the relevance? How did it impact me? You know, how is it a grace habit? And then we kind of train them on, um, as a server, this, you know, don't just throw bread to my face, you know, but really, you know, bless them with each, with each bite. We love it. And over the winter, I did a just a little fast of from Saturday night to Sunday morning, so that my first bite every Sunday was, and it was just so very impactful. And um, we have an intergenerational focus, so our kids are in our service for the worship. They go to what we call Kids Town their sermon, and then they come back so family share in time together most of i would guess most of your congregation have nazarene backgrounds is that right yes i would say it's probably about 50 50 we have a lot of people who you know in today's day and age we don't assume that people have any kind of church background that's true so <clears throat> lots of people have no church background or we we have lots of former catholics just a little bit of everything but we do have a a, a solid core of nazarenes but it's such a great opportunity for us to teach people what Nazarene is. Right. See, most of my congregation are either former Catholic, Lutheran, and then I have, wow. a, 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 or unchurched. Like the communion once a week for them would, 
that's just normative. And what I found typically from Nazarenes is that they're like, no, 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 you can't do that once a week. It's too Catholic. So that's why I'm curious yep. of how they respond to that. Yep. Having communion and we have that. And we explained that um, communion is not Catholic. <laughs> the Catholics didn't create communion. Yeah. The Catholic Church, that Jesus created communion. We remind them that John Wesley took communion every day um, at the end of, by the end of his life. And as he was developing his own call and his own ministry, he took it as often as he could. You know, when you're invited to share in the body and blood of Christ, why would you turn that down? So it was an adjustment for some of our people, especially uh, maybe a certain generation of people. But I really feel like they've come to this place where they enjoy it and they get it. Um, of course, it's not 100%. Not everybody does. And we, we share communion in a way that you, you come forward and we do the intention method. So... It's not like something that we pass around and you can kind of stay in your seat and not take it if you if you don't want to. So who really influenced you, uh, I'm thinking women-wise, uh, towards the journey of ordination? I had a mentor in the um, early stages. The district assigns you mentors, and um, her name was Annette. And she ended up um, uh, having a baby, and so she, she backed off a little bit. Um, so I got another mentor, but... Um, she was really so supportive that she helped me to quit questioning. Can I do this? Is this really something that I'm called to do, or is it just kind of something in my head? You know, right. we were able to connect, and like we went to M15, not together, but we were able to, you know, take an hour and get coffee. And this is where I am now. This is where God has called me, and this is what to do, and everything will work. Out. And it, you know, it did. And it, it wasn't certainly wasn't easy. I have found that, and maybe one of the reasons that I wanted to start the unstoppable women aren't always super supportive. Of, you know, that can be a frustration. I, I want to support other women. There's a lot of, what did Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. There's a lot of work all of them. Right. Uh, and we, so. We do live the, with that scarcity mentality, right? That there's only enough right. sl women slots out there, and we forget that. If we run out of chairs, Jesus will add more and put another leaf on right. the table, you know? Right. I always say, because sometimes we'll worry so much about, you know, the food for a pitch-in or, or a potluck or a party. And I'm like, if we run out of if we run out of food, Little Caesars is five minutes away. Right. We need to quit worrying about some of that stuff and just walk, walk with each other on the journey. So, I, unfortunately, I didn't have a ton of, of female clergy that was walking beside me at, you know, in the, especially in the early stages, except for Annette. Now it never occurred to me that a female couldn't be a pastor. Both my husband and I have aunts who are ordained clergy in the church of Nazarene. Oh, so I funny. always knew it was something that I could do. I've heard people say, well, women shouldn't be, you know, right. pastors, women shouldn't be in the pulpit. Um, that never really bothered me. But what did bother me was the scarcity, as you said, of, uh, I like that word of, women encouraging other women and so there's just not enough you know you go to district interviews at my first several years my first two years let me back up my first district interview was with six men sitting around me at a table and it was so intimidating and squat and like they actually all sat on a panel and you were sitting in front of them did they do it that way or did they do the round table thing 
it wasn't it was like um uh, an l-shaped table and so i was at the table not in the middle of them like the firing squad yeah. kind of thing but yeah that would be horrible my it, word it was i'm like okay uh, someone needs to redesign this room like preferably a uh, woman <laughs> this is horrible and then the second year i think it went down to five and then they developed interview teams where you had the same team every year which makes so much sense and your mentors on that team and so that team takes notes on you and they can follow your progress. Instead, every year I was starting my story over again. How many times did I have to tell you the story when I'd rather tell you what's been happening since the last time we met right. and how I've matured and how God's working. And um, it's just a different mindset. And, and they got on board with that. And so, but I only ever had Annette in my interview team in only one year. So, you know, I never had women interview me I never had until I got to the um, ordination interview then there of course there were several women on that there just needs to be more women who are available for those things more right. female ordained so that they can there's nothing this is hyperbole but there's nothing scarier than walking in a room and there's no one who looks like you right you know it's very off-putting we, we don't want to do that talk a little bit and you've sort of touched on this but to the woman who's just starting to wrestle with that call, now that I know what I know, what are some things that you would want to say to them? Well, first of all, if God has called you, you know, and you don't need anyone's permission to answer God's call. I, I laid out fleeces because in the church, we kind of act like laying out fleeces is a holy thing. And it's really, really not. If we, if we read the real story of, uh, of Gideon, uh, Gideon, if we truly read that story, laying out the places was act of laughing, not of laughing. Tell everybody that you can get as much help as you can, get as much input as you can, not towards whether or not to make the decision, but be a gatherer of knowledge. You know, um, there are things like don't wear a dress if you're going to preach unless you got a belt because you've got to have a battery pack attached to something. Right. So you have to wear pants or, you know, something that you can put that on. And it has to be a, a sturdy belt if you're going to put the battery pack on the belt because it's heavier than you think, right? right. I had a belt come undone once just as I was standing up to preach. And they had turned on my microphone and I'm trying to put my belt back on. I'm like, wardrobe malfunction, excuse me for just a moment. And and that kind of brought the house down, but, you know, it makes you more nervous when that happens. Yeah. At General Assembly, I was a part of a workshop, and I wore a dress, and I just didn't, like a t-shirt dress, not even a fancy dress, you okay. know. I just didn't even think about it. I had to walk around and hold the, the battery pack and the microphone because it was just easier to do it like that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. So get comfortable. If you're a preacher, get comfortable with your hands. Our sound guy loves me on a handheld more than on a – uh, lapel mic be comfortable with who you are and just keep uh, I, I guess I would just continue to say just keep gathering knowledge obviously you want to gather knowledge about God about the Bible read a lot read from diverse people let iron sharpen iron within you so read different even different um, denominations materials and, and and question question everything question why do you why did Calvin think that, you know, why did Martin Luther do that? Why did, you know, gather, gather, gather and, and question, um, the stories in the, in the word too. Why did 
Esther hesitate to join Mordecai? Why did Jesus appear to women first at the tomb? Ask those questions because that's where, uh, to me, the, the good stuff is in the stories. So learn people's stories, learn our faith's stories, learn our denomination's stories, learn the stories of the Bible, question them and pick them apart. I, I could spend, I, I'm a word nerd, I call myself a word nerd because grammar is so I use the, the terminology word nerd and you know, I could just spend a week on, on a sentence. Why, did, why is it phrased this way? Right. And if the original says this, how did they get translated over here to this? It's a totally different meaning, you know? Yeah. Read read lots of translations of the Bible, too. Enjoy the the diversity of of, of understanding. Somehow that, that, that knowledge filters down to us regular people. And so I, I love, uh, I'm currently, I read four different translations when I study. I love New Living, um, NRSV, but um, the Passion Translation, I don't know if you've ever read from that. No. I love that. It's just um, Psalms, Song of Solomon and the New Testament, but the whole purpose of it is to is to show the translation that I really like is the voice translation, which presents the scripture like as a drama. So it'll say, it uses the word eternal one. God. So it'll say, the eternal one said, and it's like a script. And then Moses said, Moses replied, you know, it's just really, really neat. So I like to use different translations and, you know, then sometimes I like to question, well, why did it, why does this say this and this say that, you know, and decide for myself what I believe instead of just what somebody else thinks I should be. Best advice for, for women in ministry is, um, is to be a gatherer of knowledge of, you know, know the know Mildred Winecoop, you know, know our um, know our theology's history. Really, when you take the history and polity class, just soak in it. It's so good, and tells you so much about who we are and how we got here. Know enough so that you can tell somebody. Actually, the Church of the Nazarene has always ordained women, right? Because a lot of people will say, "Oh, I I thought the Church of the Nazarene was anti female." No, no. We have always ordained women. John Wesley ordained a woman. So it's not a new thing. And, and just know that stuff because knowledge really is power. I hate to sound like Schoolhouse Rocks, but <laughs> knowledge really is power. I, I do think that we have an enemy that wants us to be illiterate. So biblically illiterate and socially illiterate and culturally illiterate so that we have no grounds. Yeah, well, you get a skewed, narrow perspective of the gospel when you do that and Anything that skews and, you know, obscures the scriptures, you know, the enemy's works. Right. We're having a, um, a retreat here next weekend called The Bible Tells Me So Weekend. And it's to teach people what the Bible really is. You know, the Bible is not the center of our faith. Jesus is teaching yes. them to understand that. So for example, that, that scripture about we should be silent. That always say to me, okay, but... You need to look at the scripture in its context that Paul was writing to a specific church, a specific problem. And when the Bible seems to contradict itself, then you've got to dig deeper. So if, if women are not supposed to lead, what about Miriam? What about Deborah? Which is kind of sad. They're missing out on so much richness. Yeah, and it's so far from the original point of 
the Protestant Reformation, right? That it was to be in the hands of everyone so that we could be reading it and absorbing the scriptures, asking those questions for ourselves rather than just allowing the, the priesthood, the pastorhood to tell us what we're supposed to believe. Instead of, you know, you can't think that way. Instead of being told that, the, the Bible invites you to wrestle with the with the, the truths that are presented, with the wisdom that's presented. The Bible invites you to question. I can still remember being in a Sunday school class years ago, and we'll talk about being angry with God. And one of the women in the class said, oh, I would never tell him. I love him too much to be angry. I said, you know, God has really big shoulders. He's a big boy. He can handle your anger. He can right. handle your frustration. And the word can too. It does hold us back from really being transformed because it's right. not until we're honest with God about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're struggling with that he really can transform us. If we just continue to deny the reality mm-hmm. of what's happening internally, we're just going to be mm-hmm. stuck there. Absolutely. That's so good. And we're not, we're made right with God at our salvation, but that rightness continues to develop. Right. So we, we're trans, you know, we have the opportunity to be transformed every day. What else in your life does that? So if you think about the Bible as food, as, as nourishment, you know, to point you in the right direction, to point you to God, um, it transforms us every single day. And if we're not doing that, then we're just missing out on, on so much and you know I usually spend an hour and a half in the morning over the summer you know I would sleep in and just take my time uh, with the scripture but now getting so during the school year I usually get up about 5 35 I cannot get back into it and I'm starting a small business working late into the night and boy I tell you and even this morning on the way to I gotta have that nourishment I think I, I think I need the pop tart, but what I really need is is my my time with Father. And I hate the word and the term devotional because I think it becomes something you check off your list. You're starting a small business after uh, ordination, after assembly. Um, maybe two weeks later, three weeks later, Pastor Paul preached a sermon about your dream. What's your dream? I don't have a dream anymore. <laughs> you know, I kind of. Ordination was my dream. I don't know what my dream is. And um, so I prayed about it and thought about it for a couple of weeks. And I'm a very creative person and I like to decorate and I'm cheap. You put those three things together and I'm the one who goes to Goodwill and buys candlesticks and paints them and, you know, trans- transforms them. And so I decided to start a business called The Rusty Gate. And it's um, an upcycled or repurposed decor business couple things. I want to show that you can do it without spending a fortune and you can do it in a style that reflects you. And I also want to show that God is transforming us all the time. And so I'm looking at it as a ministry. So I, as I'm creating and stuff, I'm praying over these, these things, praying over who may purchase them or maybe they won't, but whoever it touches, it gives me the opportunity to pray for them. Things are only for sale through the open house. And I'll do another one at Christmas time, and then I won't do another one until next year. You know, if you care about setting your table and making it special and pretty, God cares about that because he has made life special and pretty for you. Heaven is God's presence, then God's presence is here. And instead of bellyaching about life or 
enduring life. Let's uh, let's make it as it is in heaven. True, what you said about the creativity. You know, he's a creative god. Your rusty gate begins to influence your ministry. Have you noticed any of that? It's been the reverse so far. So I do a lot of the decorating around the church. And that's something, again, that I used to stifle because nobody saw it that way. And I felt awkward or stupid or whatever, you know. And um, it's been another empowering thing to recognize. If I see it that way, it's that because your environment matters. Your environment is another pathway for God's presence to speak to you. It's all creativity. And it's just a, I, I want to value that in myself and in others. And I want to help them see this is just one of the hundred ways that you're like, God. what are you reading right now? This summer I read, um, love does and everybody always by oh, Bob Goff. Yeah. Table with my books is ready for me next week when I'm all done with the rusty eight stuff. And uh, there's a book about holy bands that I want to read, recreating the small group in John Wesley's mindset then i'm looking forward to advent resources i've never been too much of an advent celebrator until last year and so it's made me really look forward to it this year i i also read this summer seven sacred pauses observing the daily office throughout your day and there's a great book i can never ever ever remember the name but it has a a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the front of it so we always call it the peanut butter and jelly book I think it's um the it's the liturgy of the ordinary or liturgy liturgy of ordinary time, but um it's from a, a female Lutheran I think she's Lutheran pastor, and she talks about how when you eat you're reminded of communion and how you can, you know, ingest the food and the drink in a holy way, making your bed and making that a spiritual exercise, making space in your in your morning for. If you start your morning with chaos, your whole day is chaos. But if you take time and, and calm it down. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of this and 